0: Hello, welcome to the Spatial Reality Podcast, your resource for authentic conversations about spatial computing technologies. I'm Sean Higgins, your host. Every few weeks, I'll interview an expert to learn how this technology is changing a huge variety of fields and industries, and what we can do to prepare for what's coming next. Today's guest is Baptiste Tripard, CMO of the French startup Altea. The company is doing very interesting work in the use of AI to process spatial data and extract useful insights that your business can act on. Baptiste comes with more than a decade of experience with commercial drone companies and in the 3D capture space, even working as general manager for Intel's data management and analytics platform. We thought we'd bring Baptiste in to help us understand how AI can make sense of all the visual data that we're drowning in these days, and give us a sense for what this technology is really capable of and maybe even more importantly, what its limitations are. With that out of the way, let's dig in. First of all, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm really excited about it, especially given what you and your company are up to. I like to start every one of these podcasts with the same question. I like to ask, does the term spatial computing mean anything to you? Is it hype? Is it just one of many terms that we're going to abandon as time goes on?
1: Yeah, Hi. thanks for having me on the podcast. I think spatial computing is a term that's been around for a few years. It describes well what we do in essence, because it's really about adding some spatial information to any kind of data to make it even more relevant. And in that sense, for me, it's bringing the real world closer to the digital world and vice versa. And what we do at Altea is connected to that. We use the term spatial computing. I used that term also 10 years ago when I started in the drone industry. And I really like that, that notion of connecting spatial information to other type of content to contextualize it and make even more sense of it.
0: Can you give me a quick overview of what Altea does overall? I think it's a the sort of offering that a lot of people in this 3D technology space are probably unfamiliar
1: with. Yeah, sure. So the way we think of spatial computing at Altea and what we do every day for the last four years is basically we help organizations leverage the exponentially growing sources of visual information, sources like cameras, laser scanners, satellites, smartphones, or even now you know, like sensors, the LiDAR are sensors that you have in uh, autonomous cars. And we use uh, all of that flow of visual information to enrich digital twins with more and more information over time. And then, you know, what it enables us to do is assess the state of the systems that we observe over time, understand how they change. And as such, it enables us to make predictions and help organizations be more efficient in their decision-making process, basically make the right decisions at the right moment. And how do we do that concretely? It's it's easy. We have built a software solution that gathers all the technology tools to aggregate, uh, visualize, and process visual data at scale. And not only we do that visual data analysis, but we... Uh, connect that visual content to the existing enterprise databases, or we connect also sensors data coming from robots, machines, to enrich even more that flow of information and make even more accurate predictions.
0: Spatial data doesn't just offer a way to enrich data. that an enterprise or a company might be gathering, it seems like it's a necessary part of bringing together all these disparate data streams that we're accustomed to dealing with as sensors, IOT, and various kinds of data gathering methods proliferate. So it it seems like the spatial data really is the key to bringing this all together and making it, I don't wanna say making it talk, but finding the connections between these various data streams.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Not only it is a very important piece of information, it basically the base that unifies all of that unstructured data into a single source of truth and unified, yes. The best example I could give is, let's say you have a solar farm and you want to do some productivity analysis on it and you use high resolution satellite data or drone images to take images of your solar farm you would be able to identify a hotspot uh, leveraging that visual content okay at the mm-hmm. same time the sensors on your solar panels will measure an instability in the electricity production on that specific area. And but you will have the all the panels IDs and orientation of all the panels and so on. Maybe through your uh, geographical information system. So it's basically spatial information, the GPS information that will connect the hotspot analysis, the electricity production, and the panel ID that will actually make the maintenance plan and the maintenance operation efficient. Because you will be able to determine on which panel ID is your hotspot. You will be able to understand if there is a correlation between that hotspot and the instability in the electricity production. And you will be able to understand if you need to plan urgently or not such an operation in the real world. And only because there is that notion of interconnection between all of the data that comes from the the spatial location that you can have a, a, an accurate answer.
0: It's fascinating because if you look at the development of the digital twin or the conversations around the digital twin recently, one of the big features that people point to is prediction and forecasts and the sort of thing that you're talking about why weren't these sorts of applications actually realized in the past what does eltea bring to the table that's new that finally enables us to get these sort of predictions out of digital twins
1: but that's a very good question and i think part of it was already there statistics on single flows of data performed for a long time If you look at very big AI companies like Palantir or C3.ai, they have specialized in utilizing artificial intelligence to make predictions based on IoT and database information. Right? What we do at Altea is a bit different. We add a layer of information on top of that. And the reason why is if you want to make the best predictions, it's better to add more data sources because all of that enriches the model and all of that leads to better predictions. Why didn't we have access to such data yet? By three reasons. One, uh, availability. I I did not mention it, but my background is aerospace engineering and I've started my professional career building drones and uh, selling drones in the United States for commercial applications. So you have to realize that 10 years ago, getting a high resolution picture from the sky was extraordinary. So first of all, let's put things back in perspective. Access to visual information is fairly new, even if The first big satellite programs were launched in the 70s, 80s with Landsat in the US, mainly for agricultural reasons. Getting access to the kind of resolution that we need to make accurate predictions is very recent. Okay. Then the second aspect is more technical. It's the availability of hardware to store and compute that information. Visual data is rich as a format. If you take any satellite tile, it's 10 gigabytes. Um, if you take a LiDAR point cloud uh, over a urban area, it's 100 gigabytes. Again, 10 years ago, with the connectivity that we had back then, with the availability of local servers, it was almost impossible to store and process that data. So the rise of visual information as an important source of information also comes with, and it's correlated to the rise of cloud technology and Mm. the massive ability to uh, store visual information and process information with elastic computing. And today, I mean, we work a lot with cloud providers. Most of The installations that we do with our clients are uh, cloud-based. Finally, I'd say, you know, uh, it's also kind of a contextual slash technical issue. And again, today, everybody talks about ChatGPT. NLP was also pretty hype. Everything that ties to computer vision is still a little bit more a niche. Why? Because it's complicated. It's probably more complex to handle than any other form of artificial intelligence because proving the value uh, might be a little bit longer, even if now uh, technologies are making it easier and faster to prove technology on collecting data. Having access to that visual information is a bit more uh, complicated than just plugging to your uh, IT, and getting the streams from any other form of data.
0: Hmm. So let's say an enterprise is pretty sophisticated about gathering visual data. They're aware of this development in artificial intelligence, machine learning. If this technology is broadly available to them, are there still complexities that would keep them from being able to use it to its full potential? What other sorts of challenges would necessitate working with a company like Altea instead of doing this sort of thing internally?
1: The first aspect I'd say is, yes, make sure that data is available. And this is a problem that's kind of solved, I would say. We have built within our software platform data ingestion pipelines that make it uh, seamless to ingest, aggregate, and contextualize visual information. I can give you an example. We have clients that ingest LIDAR point clouds in our platform at a country level uh, repeatedly to get more uh, uh, understanding on their impact at a global scale. Uh, And all of that is automated. There is no manual operation anymore. So that's, that's the first thing. And then the challenges are more on... Converting the predictions of the AI models that we push to production into business operations. And Mm -hmm. this is, I believe, the fundamental problem that AI and spatial computing need to solve to reach full scale. How do you tie your business operations to the predictions of your models? And we've solved that problem in two ways. First of all, we have built in our platform validation steps uh, where uh, operators you know, uh, validate the prediction of the models at different stages of the analytic. And basically, when a result is pushed, it's been approved by a team of people. And the second aspect is if the prediction of the model is invalidated by an operator, then that new information is fed back to the model for continuous improvement. And it's basically the interaction of the human organization with the technology that makes the predictions of the models better over time and enable the organization at the end to make sure that the right business decisions are taken, if it makes sense.
0: A core part of what you offer is assistance, helping these organizations train the models themselves so they get useful information out of them, moving them closer to the point where they're getting just the insight they need out of their data rather than the sort of raw data sets that nobody cares to actually deal with.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I would say even more, it's training their data sets to the business objective that they set for themselves. So people are too much focused on the accuracy of the model. Okay, do I have the performance? Do I detect everything I want to detect on my data set? But at the end, what truly matters is the business objective. If I want to reduce my cost by 30%, do I truly need 100% of accuracy on my visual data? Uh, And the answer is probably no. So again, I think what's really important is to start with the business objective. I want to reduce my cost. I want to improve my productivity by X percent, diminish my cost by Y percent, I want to be able to produce more with less. And that helps fix what the accuracy of the model should be. And again, it's what's happening in the platform that helps to find the balance, the accuracy of the model for which we have the business outputs that we desire. And and as such, you have to When you want to implement AI in a business organization, you have to measure your business outputs. You need to compare to the KPIs that you fix for yourself. And that's really the metric that you want to have an eye on because truthfully, you do not really care about the accuracy of your AI.
0: So it's not a matter of gathering as much data as accurately as possible and throwing it into an AI model it also requires understanding what your long term goals are. And if I could put it this way, tuning the system so that it operates in this sort of optimal way in order to help you reach your business goals.
1: Exactly. And as you achieve an even better efficiency, maybe you will raise the bar and target a higher target. And at that moment, some retraining would apply for the models or you would add another source of information that basically enhance the performance of your model to target those higher goals. And that's very important because, again, none of the customers that we have worked with in the past and I think none of the ones that we will work with in the future have static business goals. They start with minimalistic amount of data to build the first version of the model. And as they scale, as they grow with that new process in their organization, they set higher and higher goals for business. And as such, enrich the model with new sources of data or Mm. even some different frameworks to increase the performance of the AI model. Uh, And we've been seeing that that approach is very healthy from a growth perspective.
0: One of the ideas people often have is that when you look at a technology like artificial intelligence, or uh, this is to speak very broadly, these cutting edge technologies that people are using, they think that someday software will be able to complete these tasks by itself. But it sounds like there's a necessity for having a human in the loop in order to continue developing alongside the artificial intelligence as a necessity of optimizing the use of AI within a business. Is that, do I understand that correctly too?
1: And I'd say, you know, it's it's kind of cliche, but AI is a tool, it's the new uh, hammer and I'd say that a human organization is accelerated by AI. You can make iterations on a much quicker scale. You can deploy a project broadly on a much faster basis, but will never replace a human organization to mitigate the risks of making the right decision. We are working with utilities in the US and in Europe to predict the risk of wildfires on distribution and transmission networks. That's something that we do with GE Digital. You cannot rely only on artificial intelligence to make those predictions. There is an organization at the utility level that's probably 50 plus years experience in managing those risks. You cannot bypass that organization. And as such, we provide another layer of information for that organization to transform itself and become more efficient. That's really different. What else
0: can't AI do? I think of this in the context of a certain wave of hype and investment money that seems to have moved on from things like the metaverse into AI and machine learning. What are some other limitations of AI that you think people should be aware of as they approach using a solution like Altea's?
1: We see people every day asking us, I can give you an example, like a landfill management company, waste management company came to us and said, okay, we want to use video cameras. And basically, we want to be able to see everything that's within a pile of uh, waste. But we cannot see through things with video cameras. <laughs> there, there are some right. other uh, options, maybe like x-rays, radar, or anything. I don't know. But, but, I mean, we cannot physically extract from satellite images that are a 10 meters resolution. You cannot see a, a coin because it just does not work. What I would say is you need the right data for your use case. And if you do not have the right data, if you don't have accurate enough data, or if you have data that is so unstructured that it's not usable, or um, if you train an AI model on a data set that you don't have ground truth for, you can have all the data scientists in the world, it's never going to provide a good business output. A garbage in, a garbage out. Yeah. And again, what AI can do, however, is from the data you have, uh, taking the best of it. Another thing that AI cannot do is basically giving you right away a 100% of Accuracy in the predictions that it makes, because it would take so much time and money to achieve that, that by the time you hit that target, uh, probably your use case is irrelevant for your organization anymore. What you need to do in that sense is what we've touched as a topic in your previous question. You need to have the right organization rolled around your AI process to make it the most efficient as possible.
0: So it it seems like to make the most out of AI, an organization would need to invest time and resources in the idea of AI more broadly without necessarily thinking of it as being, say, a tool for just one application. They should have a sophisticated sense of how it might work for them in the long term across a bunch of different application areas.
1: Yeah, yeah. And time, resources, data. And that's why one of the best advice that I can give to people that are listening to that podcast and think of deploying visual data as a mean to improve their business operations is start simple. Have a use case. Make sure that you have high technical feasibility of that use case, that basically you can, for that use case, get data that is affordable and so on. I'll give you a a pretty good example, okay? We work on a project that is supported by the World Bank on helping developing countries to assess their road network. What it means is basically create a cartography of the primary, secondary, and tertiary road networks across a country. And for that road network, uh, being able to uh, assess if it's a paved or an unpaved road. And for that specific road, create a roughness index, basically Hmm. assessing the practicability of the road. Okay. You have two ways to do that. Either you take most expensive satellite images that give you a super high resolution and you basically create segmentation algorithm to extract the roads from that imagery. And then you use another set of very expensive imagery to compute the attributes that I mentioned. But for a country the size of let's say, Mexico, it would cost you more than $3 million. Okay. And nobody can put $3 million uh, for a project like that. I'm not saying they cannot do it in 10 years when the technology is proven, when having access to that information provides lots of benefits. But when it's a first step, in the direction of spatial computing, the step is a little bit high. I've not seen many managers getting $3 million as a budget from their management to launch a project. It's pretty rare. So the other approach is, okay, taking a bottom-to-top approach. What is the information that is available freely? How can I leverage all of that information? And how... Can AI help in the process to analyze the wide range of information that I now plug to my platform and extract the metrics that I want? Maybe it will not be 100% accurate, but it would be enough uh, to cover the needs of the developing countries. And in that example that I mentioned before with the World Bank, we achieve 80% plus accuracy on the road network detection, then the creation of those attributes, and we've spent zero dollars on data collection. So all of the things that we've done was to leverage freely accessible data.
0: As you're giving examples, you talk about working with utilities or working with developing countries or the World Bank. Is there, you think, a lower limit to the sort of project that could benefit from AI right now? Is this just for big projects right now, or is there certain applicability for smaller, more more specific kind of projects at smaller enterprises as well?
1: You you touch um, a very important point of our business, which is, and the underlying question is, what is the replicability? of an AI process mm-hmm. across clients and across industries. And this is a very difficult answer because we've talked about training a model. Training model is usually done, you know, at a company level using their data. How does that model translate to another company? The reality and the way we do it at Altea is we have two layers offering. So far, we've been talking more about the platform offering to aggregate visual content, navigate through that content, and then plug AI models to process, batch process, all of that available information. What we have also in our offer is um, uh, SaaS applications. So when we see clients that they use the same thing, We basically create a generic version of that workflow that we package onto an app and that we make available to, I would say, the mid-market. Smaller companies, contractors across the U.S. I'll give you a good example. We work with some of the biggest civil engineering companies in the world at the platform level, and some small contractors in the Midwest use one of our packaged applications. And what you need to be clear when you do that is obviously there are some limitations because the application is limited in terms of the type of data that it can ingest, the type of results that it can give you. But if you are very clear on what it can take and what you can get, then it's a perfect scalable application for the mid-market. And for an application that's called worksite management that helps mining operators, construction managers, and landfill operators over the world have a more um, precise view on what's going on on their sites. But we've deployed it across 10 plus countries with a hundred and plus clients. Use it in a very methodical way.
0: So if there's a problem that's common within your industry, then it's possible that there is a pre-packaged AI product that wouldn't require the same amount of tweaking and then revisiting. There might be something that's more or less ready, but it wouldn't have quite quite the same level of sophistication as a, a custom-developed AI application.
1: Exactly. It would not solve a very niche problem, but... It helps across industries do something very generic. I'll give you an example to be more clear. We've developed an algorithm that extracts automatically from drone or satellite images whole roads on open pit mines. And so we have that generic analytics used across a variety portfolio of clients for uh, analyzing how their whole roads change over time and basically giving like the metrics they need uh, about the safety the width where they can make some improvements right and that's the packaged application then with some clients we also ingest into the workflow machine data so the truck information with their fuel consumption loads speed etc and we build an even more accurate model to see how we can improve carbon emissions and fuel consumption on that fleet of trucks and even what happens if we reduce or increase the number of trucks on that mine and that is something that usually depends on the client, right? So see, the base is generic and is packaged as an application. And as you add more complexity, uh, then it's customized to the client.
0: That makes perfect sense. So I would love to end by asking, I think sometimes it can be difficult to tell reading about artificial intelligence, machine learning, visual visual AI, these sorts of applications, whether it's the early days of the technology or whether we're starting to reach maturity with the technology, would you say it's early? Can we expect big changes in the next five to 10 years? Or is our usage of this technology pretty sophisticated? And then maybe we'll just be honing it over
1: time. So what my observations are that it's shifting quite quickly. With the COVID outbreak, there is a lot of uncertainty on the economy and the notion of resilience for infrastructure management becomes very important. It's at the core of the strategy of big organizations. And spatial computing as a massive play into that because spatial computing brings a new type of information that helps reduce uncertainty and deal with resilience issues, especially, you know, uh, because resilience is tied to maintenance management programs. So we've seen an acceleration of the deployment of that technology across the board and across industries. And I think What's going to happen is, and I'm sure you've seen that as well, data becomes even more available. You have the new generation of iPhones that now carry a LiDAR sensor and you can map in 3D any room, anywhere in less than 30 seconds. 10 years ago, when I started in that business, the cost of a laser scanner was $200,000. And it was something that would be carried on a truck. So we've seen there is such an acceleration in terms of availability, ergonomy on those devices. Now with the new generation of satellites that are launched by Planet, uh, you can get an accurate picture at 30 centimeters per pixel, which is basically nothing. You could almost see if you're drinking a tea or a coffee from space you can get an accurate image every 60 minutes on any place on earth. That context of resilience and uncertainty linked with the wide availability of spatial data, all of that creates an exponential growth of line of business.
0: So it sounds like the technology is growing so quickly that who knows what it's going to look like or what we'll be using it for in the next five or 10 years.
1: There are already spikes of what's going to happen in the future. I think the first element is that most of the analysis that we do today is near real time. So within the next five to 10 years, what's going to happen is we're going to bridge the gap between near real time and real time. Mm. Most of the decision at some point will be almost Instantaneous, right? Then uh, we will have to work on efficiency from an energy standpoint. We cannot forever like stream terabytes of data uh, using five G. At some point, we need to become more rational. Edge processing is going to be the next big thing. How we're gonna do and work on the decentralization of a platform like ours? to do most of the processing at the edge on site and only transfer like the meaningful information to the cloud so every peop- mm. everybody within an organization has access to it. And I think the last step is immersive reality, augmented reality. Today, all the business outputs that we are generating are uh, available on screen, on the UI of the platform. Tomorrow, With immersive reality glasses, why not automatically tell an operator when he's doing something wrong on an assembly line, how about displaying danger on a construction site so that every worker equipped with those glasses will see what's going on. This is going to come one way or the other. I think there is a reality for uh, immersive reality in the B2B uh, business more than there is in the B2C uh, world. Because again, there is so much value in adding those immersive uh, information on the B2B side that people are going to take it with a better sense of not being exposed to something that they do not want to see.
0: Hmm. This has been really enlightening. I feel like there's a lot of information out there about artificial intelligence that maybe i don't want to say misleads but can often hype it up beyond what i think the reality of the situation is and so this is it's been really great to talk to you and get a better sense for where the technology is and what we can realistically expect for it to be doing
1: thank you so much for the invitation and good luck with the podcast
0: And that's all for today. Thanks for spending some time with us. If you like what you heard, subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. Before you go, one quick request. There's a leader in the 3D tech space or a colleague who is doing innovative work and you'd like to have them interviewed on the podcast. Send me a note on LinkedIn. Later.